One of the things, if I look back at my um, my strategy documents from the other day I joined, yeah, the approach I wanted to take, you know, which is no surprise to, to anyone listening, would be a very much test and learn approach. And, you know, we, we weren't in a position where we were going to spend, you know, six, nine, 12 months creating something and then, you know, putting our eggs in one basket and, and hoping. You know, hope is not a strategy. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I sat down with Ian Chambers, who is the CEO of Mind Candy, and more recently, Moshi Sleep and Mindfulness. Mindcandy were also the creators of Moshi Monsters, which boasted over 80 million downloads worldwide. Ian's wealth of entertainment experience comes from his time at Ubisoft and at Electronic Arts, also known as EA, which led to his role as International Managing Director at IGN, where he was responsible for its global expansion and making IGN the number one video game and entertainment media network in the world. A father of two, Ian's inspiration for Moshi comes from his vision of helping millions of families around the world become happier and healthier by helping kids sleep. In this interview, we discuss all things marketing, creating a community around games and how to scale in other markets. We also discuss what it's like to take over from a CEO like Michael Acton Smith and fill those shoes of creativity. Okay. Let's jump into the action. So, Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Philip, yeah, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So when you are out and about, uh, I guess, historically at an event, um, how would you introduce yourself to you people? So, I mean, as a uh, in my work, I'm the, I'm the CEO of Mind Candy, um, you know, and our, our app is, is Moshi. Um, but you know, we like to think about what our what our why is, which is to improve the health and well being of a billion kids. That's a that's a really strong intro. <laughs> so before we talk about Mind Candy um, and and Moshi Sleep and, and you know the great work that is happening and the and the, the the recent round that was raised earlier this year, which is awesome. Uh, I want to start from the beginning. I always like to get an understanding of what gets people to where they are today. Um, so obviously, you've had an incredible career in the gaming industry. Uh, but I'd just love to learn a bit more about, about you. Um, so how did you get into gaming and, and what was early life like kind of pre-gaming? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been reflecting on quite a lot of this recently, actually, I suppose, in lockdown with all the, the time at home and everything. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a great experience the last 20 or so years. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician at heart. So, I mean, I... I I studied music at university, um, you know, and I was always looking to do something creative. Um, and alongside that, I grew up with gaming. I had a BBC Model B. Uh, it was my first gaming computer, which actually, funnily enough, is literally under my desk in front of me at the moment because I've been playing around with it again recently. And that's from 1982, I think. Um, and, you know, grew up with um, Nintendo, um, obviously with PlayStation, uh, but also PC gaming. I was always a PC gamer from the, from the early days. I used to build my own PCs, um, you know, when it was the early days of Pentium and stuff. So I was always very much into into games. And um, I remember having the first version of FIFA, um, 
with commentary. I think it was FIFA 96 on PC and I was playing at university and people were walking down the corridor and just amazed at, you know, there were these sounds of, uh, of real players coming out of the, out of my room in my hall. And I was always just very much into games. And so when I left university, um, you know, after sort of doing a few jobs to get my career going, um, I really wanted to find a career in games and I was, uh, I was incredibly fortunate. I, th- I think you do need to be relatively fortunate at the start of your career in the gaming industry. It always felt a bit um, challenging to get into from the outside. I think, you know, we forget what it's like being on the outside of this incredible industry looking in. And uh, I, I found this opportunity at Ubisoft and it was just, a, a, you know, something completely new. Um, I was a community manager and um, it was way before the days of Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Snapchat or or TikTok, of course. Um, but the rules were the same. Yeah, we were doing IRC chats um, and we were managing PC forums. Um, and that was it. And so I learned how to uh, create communities, build communities, grow communities. And, um, and from there, you know, my career grew. So those early days were really important about engaging with audiences um, and working on some just some brilliant games at Ubisoft. How, how did you, and that's, that's awesome, by the way, and that's a really good, I'm sure there's so many other stories you can go down for each one of those, uh, but that was, that was a good roundup. But I guess one thing I wanted to ask was, how did you know what to do with regards to building communities? Um, like you said, this is like pre, this is pre-everything really. So the whole notion of a community, although we understand what a community is, but I guess in a digital sense, that was still quite new, right? Like, what were you modelling that off of? Yeah, um, nothing really at the time. I suppose it was it was creating an environment um, that people could share a passion. And that was, you know, the first game I worked on, the first IP I ever worked on was a game called Isle 2 Sturmovic. And it was, and still is, frankly, got a very healthy community uh, all these years later. Uh, it's a flight simulation game. Um, and, of course, around flight simulation, you have a very passionate audience. Um, I mean, they used to, you know, have the developers there. They'd be talking to them. They'd be coming up with all kinds of um, discussions around, you know, the number of rivets in a wing or, or how the interior of a particular cockpit looked or how it handled or, or whatever else it might be. And we nurtured that um, in the early days, this sort of, you know, 2001, um, by really connecting the audience with the, with the developers, with 1C uh, Maddox um, in Russia. And Oleg Maddox, the, um, the creator of, of IL-2, was just, was just there and present and wanted to talk to his community, you know, and it was a really early days for that of a developer speaking directly to their community and taking feedback and building and growing and, um, really treating the game like a service. And this was, you know, in 2001. Um, and from that, we built, we had forums and we built, um, uh, you know, really built an incredible uh, amount of engagement with this, with this community who then started, you know, creating mods, of course, who then started creating all types of content. Um, one of the most memorable ones I remember, in fact, I've, I've still got it somewhere, um, is a, uh, is a, I'd love to dig it out at some point. There was this guy who, created a whole virtual um, acrobatic um, uh, team with inside IL-2. And they used to put on displays. Um, so they used to put on these virtual displays where, you know, five or six or seven pilots would get together 
um, in these you know World War II aircraft, and they would do virtual acrobatic displays that other people would then watch. And I remember them creating these incredible videos that we used to share. And um, so we used to just you know create an environment. And I think the thing with community is that it's um, you know you don't create community. Um, it's the wrong way of thinking about it. You create the environment, and then the um, the passionate members of the community then you know, form the community and then create the rules themselves effectively and then create the, the boundaries and then start to to, to share um, whatever their passion may be. So, so this was early days. Yeah, carry on. So this was, yeah, so this was early days, super early days. And I guess is this how you kind of created your own role, I guess, in the digital marketing space at Ubisoft? Yeah, it was because I was, I was, no one knew what I was. It was, I was always the guy in the corner who was the digital guy in the early, you know, back in those days. And, you know, we, um, I remember, you know, when I sort of evolved a bit further, I mean, one of the first, you know, really big games I worked on was Far Cry, um, on PC. And I was a community manager on that. Um, and, you know, working with Crytek, um, and Ubisoft for the publisher. And, Again, this is before YouTube, um, and I remember, you know, as a community manager, I was getting all these incredible videos in because, you know, Far Cry. One of the one of the beautiful things about the original Far Cry and all of them is the the open world sort of nature of the game, and that you could make decisions for how you approached every you know every level in the game. And so people come out with all these wild and wonderful ways of of creating of, of finishing levels. Um, and you know, I just remember doing these video compositions and saying to Saying to the community, look, create, create, show us what you're doing. Show us what you're doing. And I used to have to do it. They used to send in these videos, you know, as whatever MP4s or whatever. Um, and uh, you know, I'd get them all in, and then I'd have to, I'd have to edit them, and I'd, 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 I'd compress them and everything, and then I'd upload them to a website, which I, which I managed myself for the HTML, and you know, did all that stuff and got it all live. And of course, a year later, you know, YouTube launched, and uh, maybe if I had been a bit more forward thinking at that point, I could have. Uh, I could have uh, could have thought maybe that would have been a good good thing to have thought about, or and then of course Twitch followed a couple of years later. So um, yeah, I can remember even back in those days, you know, we used to get tens of thousands of um, views for these for these videos um, and these compositions. So yeah, there was a very passionate community then who wanted to create and share and watch content, um, and of course, you know, we then saw that grow into into all the stuff we see today around you know how we're sharing sharing gaming content. Nice. And so I guess after your time at uh, Ubisoft, um, you know, fast forward a few years, you, you end up at Mine Candy. Um, yeah, that's right. And there's quite, a, there's quite a lot happened in between that. But um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but let's fast forward. What happened in that time, actually? Let's go through that. Well, EA was EA was pretty cool. I mean, um, EA I, I, yeah, was amazing. Um, amazing company to work for. And, you know, I worked on the first version of FIFA Ultimate Team and that that was just an amazing experience. Um, you know, just learned so much about, you know, sort of the early, uh, again, the early stages of digital monetization on console. Um, and Ultimate Team, of course, has gone on to be just, a, you know, incredibly popular and um, successful uh, part of EA's portfolio. And it was it was great to be there at the, sort of, at the birth of that. Um, it was great fun. And uh, and then from EA, I went to IGN, and IGN, you know, just uh, incredible media brand, and they've just grown and grown and grown around the world. And 
that was a you know great to be able to talk about games and talk about entertainment and then uh, and then at game retail you know learning how to how to sell um and you know and how 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 a, a large physical and digital retailer goes about their business so you know i really i was really i'm really pleased that you know over the sort of last 20 years i've really i've really had a sort of broad view of the industry you know from development marketing media and retail um and so you know when when this opportunity at uh, mind candy came up um for me it was just a great opportunity because you know i really saw in 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 moshi in this ip just the most incredible ip for kids yeah and i really wanted to figure out how we could you know take that ip and do something new with it um because clearly we had you know moshi had been incredibly successful um as a online world for kids and a gaming ip and you know uh, had a huge licensing business and one of the best selling ds games of all time yeah, and was it was it 80 million users worldwide yeah um, absolutely so they they created this world and got up to 80 million users and uh, all kinds of exciting things like you know top five album in the charts i think they beat madonna when it came out um at the same time and you know a, a film um you know a, a film that was at the cinema and all the rest of it and um, about a quarter of a billion dollars at gross retail value of licensed product. So it's just a just a phenomenon. Um, but the thing that fascinated me with Moshi, beyond this you know, huge success and believing, well, you know, there's an incredible IP here, but um, they need to find a new way forward for it, is that really they only really um, had huge success in the UK. And um, in terms of as a, as a, as a monetized product, and yet – in terms of engagement, they had loads of engagement in the US and Australia and other parts of, of, the, of the world. And so when I looked at this and I saw this incredible IP um, and you know, a great team and some incredible creative talent um, and the opportunity to work with Michael, who's the founder of, of, of Mind Candy and has gone on to be the founder of Calm, um, just a, a, lot of, a lot of things felt really, really good. And so, you know, Four years ago, we we started on this this new road, um, and then two and a half, three years ago, we we really put the sort of sowed the seeds for our our app that is now the focus of the whole business, which is the an app just called Moshi, um, which no doubt we're going to go on and talk about a bit. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, Moshi, like you said, it was a beast. You know, early two thousands, it was. You know the the UK startup sweetheart success story, right? Like it was what everybody aspired to. It was pre Silicon Roundabout as well. <laughs> uh, it was just a, a whole other thing. Um, and you know the founder, you know Michael Acton Smith, was extremely kind of um, you know well regarded. I mean, he did face a bit of stick from the press just for being a bit of a, a, a dreamer um, and trying to create you know the Disney two um, but, you know, I think founders like him are, you know, they don't, they, they don't come around often. Um, and I, so I just wanted to ask, like, in terms of, like, taking over from, from Michael, how, how was that transition? Um, because I would imagine, you know, he was such a big character, you know, really big on the creativity side of things. Um, you know, did you find it difficult? You know, how, how was that transitional period for you and him, I guess? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing I'd say is, you know, 
uh, if you can't dream, what can you do? But frankly, you know, I think it was it was it was more than dreaming. I mean, Moshi was the growth was so extraordinary, um, and Michael's um, creative vision is so powerful and strong. I mean, I just have you know the most utmost respect for Michael. I mean, he's just he's tr- truly one of a kind, and you know. Um, He's the kind of person yeah, you you want to, you want to work with and you and you really want to spend time with and you know flesh out ideas with and coming up with crazy things and frankly you know IPs like Moshi don't come around by necessarily by chance they come around because there's some incredibly incredibly strong creative thinking behind it um, and Michael and Steve so Steve Cleverly who's our chief creative who you know really worked with Michael in the early days and then has gone on to you know work with me and has created. Um, you know, the Moshi Sleep and Mindfulness app, um, Steve's vision for the brand and his creativity, um, yeah, knows no bounds really. It's quite extraordinary. Um, so yeah, it was early, it was pretty straightforward actually with Michael. I mean, yes, you know, it's always tricky with the founder CEO relationship, or it can be tricky, um, in terms of, you know, um, you know, someone new coming in and, and how does that transition happen? But actually, yeah, we hit it off really early and Michael and I really, um, you know, had some really great discussions in those early days um, around the IP. And I've got two young kids. And so, you know, I tried out before I joined, I tried out Moshi on my, on my kids and they loved it. And, you know, we'd, we'd got them some, some merch and stuff and they played around with it. And my daughter was making animations and it just, yeah, just, just this incredible IP. And Michael is, is a, um, is a, is actually just a fantastic person to work with. So it was, it was relatively straightforward. Um, I think also because, you know, we had a pretty um, strong vision in terms of where we wanted to go. And um, in the early days, um, as in four years ago, before we got into sleep and mindfulness, we did some other stuff around uh, Petlandia, um, yeah. which which did really well. And we're really proud of that. Um, and that was another another idea of Michael's that, you know, he'd sort of come up with around this idea around personalized content and personalized books for uh featuring your your family pet um and so i picked that up and ran with it and created it and i think you know from his point of view i mean you'd have to ask him but i would say that you know within three or four months of of, of me taking over we'd we'd got this live and we was we'd started selling and building and so you know i think we we hit it off pretty quickly you know he we he had a very strong vision and you know i came in and you know got thing got things moving in the right direction so meanwhile he was pretty he was pretty preoccupied i'll be honest with you after that because you know calm as you know is has gone, uh, yeah. Has, has grown pretty, pretty impressively, and you know, Michael has uh, has has really been focusing on that a lot as well. Yeah, totally. So I guess thinking about you know entering this new company, obviously at the time, Mushi was going through like some tricky transitional periods. You know, trying to you know grow in the mobile space, um, taking a beating in the press. So, what were some of the challenges that, that I guess you faced coming in, and like what were kind of the first things? That you worked on upon joining as the, the new CEO. So, I mean, I think the, the main thing you focus on is is um, starting with you know what do you have, um, and you know, and you build from there. Um, and so you look at right, what have I got? A great team, a great IP, um, yeah, fantastic office space that we had, incredible investors, you know, world leading investors in Axel. Um, and 
So that's a very powerful com- com- combination. And so from that, you know, we we just started thinking about, okay, well, what are the areas where we feel we can you know, create something and be successful? And, um, you know, games, monetizing kids' games, it, it is hard, um, you know, in that sort of age range, the under 10s. And, you know, we, we talked about it, we thought about it, and we just felt that actually that was going to be quite tricky to do. Um, you know, to be fair, Mind Candy had tried several different um, routes for that. Um, and, you know, whether it had been uh, sort of different karting games or um, they'd had a, a sort of match three game, they'd done a variety of different games and they'd all done pretty well. Um, but we wanted to create something, you know, on a global scale. And so whilst the natural, I guess, evolution for me would have been to come in and create some games with all my games background, um, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the right approach that we wanted to take for the IP. And so we, we kind of left Moshi to one side for a bit. And, and as I said, focused on Petlandia, we just wanted to wait and see and really, really wait for the right idea to connect with Moshi. Um, and that came to mid, uh, 2017. I'm just thinking my dates here, mid-2017, when, you know, I've I've got two young kids, as I said, and, you know, we were sort of, you know, dealing with two kids under, under at that stage, under seven or whatever, trying to get them to sleep. And meanwhile, I was seeing what was going on with Headspace and Calm and all these, all these apps in the, in the uh, sleep and mindfulness space. And the sort of, uh, the penny dropped a bit. Um, and we thought, well, let's create a, uh, a story in the moshi world for kids. Let's see if we can get our kids to sleep. It was kind of as simple as that to start off with. And so Steve Cleverly, uh, our chief creative, as I mentioned, he went off and created this, um, the first story, um, Close Your Eyes, Sleepy Paws. And uh, immediately when we when we got it and we put our headphones on, we were actually in a, I think we were in a bar in somewhere in central London. I can't remember where it was. And he finished this thing and he gave me a pair of headphones and we put it on and, and immediately I was, we would, I was just like, and there were, Michael was there as well and uh, a couple of the other uh, team. And we sort of passed around these headphones and we all just went, wow, just one of those moments where you go, this is, this is incredible. I mean, this yeah. is a new form of content, never heard anything like it before. And it's in the world of Moshi. Um, and immediately we kind of knew that we had something really special um, and sort of so it built from there. So again, these things, I always think they don't, you know, they, I think if we'd over-engineered it and we'd spent you know, years thinking about this or, you know, sort of gone off and spent months and months creating something, we never would have found what we have. You know, this happened quite organically um, and we gave it time to really figure out what the right idea was. And then suddenly there we were with this this first story. And, and then from then, uh, you know, two and a half years later, we are where we are today. Yeah, that's awesome. I think there's so many things to unpack there. Um, you know, and I think one thing that people should know is that, you know, Moshi, I mean, at the time, Mind Candy wasn't not, it was not a small company. Uh, so for you guys to, you know, be able to like think of something quickly and, you know, like you said, it was quite a quick turnaround in terms of like idea, test, and then, I guess, stress the market, I guess, or like maybe like refine a few things, but ultimately you knew what you were going to do after that. And, and how long was that period between like him building something and, and then you testing it and then going to market? Oh, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we set up one of the things, if I look back at my, um, 
my strategy documents from you know, the day I joined. In fact, from my, I think before I joined, you know, in, in the sort of weeks leading up to joining as CEO, you know, the approach I wanted to take, you know, which is no surprise to, to anyone listening, would be a very much test and learn approach. And, you know, we, we weren't in a position where we were going to spend, you know, six, nine, 12 months creating something and then, you know, putting our eggs in one basket and, and hoping, you know, hope is not a strategy. Um, so we, we moved fast. I mean, we, we, if I take that land here, you know, I think I joined Jan, end of Jan 16, something like Jan 27th. And they had an idea. And I think by end of March, we had the first site live with the first products being sold. So maybe a couple of months to test before we started testing. Um, Moshi sleep, something like October 17. I think it was the end of October. It was definitely dark in the evenings. I remember because uh, we were having dinner quite early on and it was dark outside. So it was kind of end of October 17 and we went live November 30th, I think. Um, so yeah, four, six weeks, something like that from, from I sort of first kind of thing to being live with the first version. Wow. I think, you know, you, again, you have to, for this kind of approach, you know, and, and by the way, along the way, there's things I won't talk about. Um, there's all kinds of failures along the way. I mean, here we are talking about you know, the two things that we've done in the last four years that have really worked. Um, and, you know, there's at least five or six other things that have never been mentioned anywhere and never will be mentioned, frankly, you know, unless there's one day I want to reflect. But the, but the point is we also created loads of other things and put them live and went or didn't even get live and went, this just isn't right. So, you know, the, the approach was, um, yeah, test and learn and move fast. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's an incredible story. And so then, talk to me about the the strategy for route to market because I, from what I can see, I haven't really come across any kind of, I guess, meditation or sleeping apps for children or something along this line ever before. I don't I don't think there is anything like this. Um, so how how are you guys going to go about getting this out to market? Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting um, business because whilst the you know the end consumer or user in a way, but not necessarily user because the kids aren't using the app, but the end sort of beneficiary is a child. So let's take a simple use case of child falling asleep to an audio story. Um, the child, you know, the goal here is, and we started out like this, right? Can we get kids to to fall asleep faster? You know, after you've had um, you know, your, your regular bedtime routine, you've done your teeth, mum or dad or whoever the caregiver is has taken you, put you into bed, read you a bedtime story because we're a huge believer in reading and we're definitely not trying to take away from reading. And after that's happened, it's that when the lights go out, you know, it's when the lights go out that every parent out there knows that that's the tricky spot because you either have to stand there, you have to walk away, they've got separation anxiety. You know, they come downstairs or into another room or whatever it might be, and that that can go on if you're you know a different amount of time depending on on the child. So the early thesis was, can we help kids get to sleep faster? And it turns out it worked. So you know they were getting to sleep 20, 25 minutes faster by listening to our stories. And but the byproduct of that um, is that parents get more time, and we hadn't really figured this out at the start, and so we suddenly realized that, oh, hold on a second, by kids falling asleep faster, parents have more time to focus on themselves. And so in the early days, it was very much a, you know, a sort of, okay, how do we market to kids and how do we figure this out? And, and very quickly it evolved into, well, this is really a parental 
tool, for want of a better word. It's a very uh, non-creative term, but it's um, but it is uh, effectively what it is. It's kind of the, it's the it's the best tool in the parents' you know, sort of uh, arsenal, as it were, to um, to use. And so we we've really created with that in mind. And so we're marketing to parents um, of kids, and that's really the the way in. Um, but then, of course, the kids are falling in love with the IP and the characters and you know, all these 350 characters that we're, that we're riffing on. And so you've kind of got this dual relationship where, you know, parent is um, is benefiting because, you know, they're getting a bit more time to themselves. They're the purchaser. So we're marketing to them. Uh, and then the child, of course, is falling in love with the IP. Um, but, you know, we're not doing any kind of monetization directly aimed at the child, which is, you know, really... You know, fits with my goal of you know we haven't got any advertising, we're not doing any you know in-app purchases, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we've got something which really is aimed at parents, and so naturally, you know, how do we take that to market? Long way about answering the question, which is you know clearly performance marketing, um, you know, more mainstream, above the line marketing, um, organic and uh, media, social media, endorsement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, and then, you know, by then proxy, of course, the, the kids are falling in love with it. And then we're starting to build up the, um, you know, the advocacy um, in the kids as well. Makes a ton of sense. I didn't even think about it that way from the parents' perspective. Um, no, that makes a, a ton of sense. And so obviously, you know, earlier this year, you guys raised 12 million uh, for Moshi Sleep. Which is awesome. So, is Moshi Sleep now? Is this now a separate company from Mind Candy, or is it still within the the Mind Candy group? No, no, it's absolutely it's a product. I mean, the the um, it's just our sole focus now. So, um, yeah, Mind Candy is our is our holding company. It continues to be the you know the the, the, the company we all work for. Um, but Moshi um, is the is our you know, lead products and our main focus for now. So it just gives that, it just gives us focus, but, um, that's not to say at some time in the future, we won't do, do something else as well. Makes sense. So I want to switch gears now and, and talk a, a bit more about, I guess, like strategy and, and companies and startups in a, in a general sense now. Um, so obviously within your career, you've had to deal with launching products in new markets and, and navigating market shifts like various platforms like YouTube, for example, or uh, Instagram or TikTok. So how have you gone about moving um, in and shifting into different markets with existing products or new products? Um, you know, what's the strategy you have or what should the strategy be when there is a new platform that comes out? Do you kind of react straight away? Do you kind of wait to see if there's any uptake from these platforms? Like, I think it's quite difficult, and I, I know it's quite a tricky question um, mm. because, some people, you know, a new product comes out of TikTok and you don't know how what it's going to be so, or how what it's going to do. So, do you invest upfront or do you just wait to see? But then, if you wait to see, you kind of you miss the boat on that. Um, so, what's your kind of thoughts on you know yourself or like companies navigating market shifts and new platform shifts? Yeah, I mean, clearly, it's 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 complex in the sense that every business and every every product will be different. But if I had to sort of give it a you know a sort of yeah, a general sort of direction that I would take is is move fast. Um, and you know, I, I look back at some of the companies I work for, and I think of a company like Ubisoft. You know, and one of the things that really used to impress me at UB when I was there was how fast they adapted to new platforms when they were thinking about you know whether it's new consoles. You know, they embraced the Wii. Really early, they embraced. I remember the, uh, I think the GameCube pretty early as well. But they they definitely were one of those um, companies that embraced um, 
new platforms in that sense very quickly. And I was always really impressed by that. And I remember being really pretty proud when I worked there that we made those kind of moves very early on, even if there was obviously an element of risk to to whatever that move might be. And I think that's that's definitely rubbed off on me in terms of how I think. Um, I think if we if we look at when I when I was at IGN personally, you know, I remember Snapchat coming out, um, and I think the team, you know, at IGN moved really quickly onto Snap um, and onto YouTube as well, and you know, started creating an incredible amount of content, and, I, and that always that always felt very strong to me as well. So, my general, my, personally, my general uh, feeling is you should try and move fast and test things, um, and you know, uh, as you said, you know, what is what is a small platform today could be a huge one in the future equally of course you have to balance that and i think you know you need to also make sure that you invest at the right levels that you that you you know put it as part of your mix and i think this is one of the one of the sort of key things is really building up your your strategy you know you want to allow for those kind of what could be you know uh, more opportunistic or early stage things or um, or sort of uh, side bets, if you want, or whatever they might, whatever way you want to categorize them. But you know, clearly, they need to be only one part of your strategy. And I think that's that's the key thing. As long as you have a balanced view of what you're doing, and you have your areas that you know you're going to be um, where you've got more, you know, even more confidence or more history or more whatever else it might be uh, that can give you uh, more confidence, um, and you invest in those, and then also. I think you need to be thinking about these any new platform seriously and uh, going in at the right level. So um, you don't want to close yourself off to these things, but equally you don't want to go too deep too early. Yes, that was going to be my next question. When you say the right level, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, again, I think that's 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 that'll be product or company dependence. I mean, that can only be that can only be assessed, I think, based on um, what the particular scenario is, but. Um, and of course, what the, what, the, what you believe the brand fit or the product fit is with whatever platform you're dealing with. So, um, I think it's impossible to put an, you know, an exact number on, but you know, you, a percentage, you know, a sort of a minority percentage of what you're doing, I think, is a reasonable way of looking at it. And then trying to balance out, you know, what the investment is, doing it properly. I think that's the other thing, which you know, you can easily fall into the trap of doing these things but not doing them properly. If you don't do it properly, then what result are you going to get? And I think if you're going to do something, do it properly. If you're not going to do it, don't do it. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in if you're going to do it, do it properly. And by properly, I mean, you know, invest at the right level, put the right focus on it, put the right team on it, have the right thesis behind it, think about what your expected outcome is going to be, monitor it effectively during allow for mistakes as they go along and then review it properly at the end. And that's actually very good advice actually. And like that process in your opinion could take what, four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. You, you know, who's it depends what it is. I mean, it depends what it is. It could be, could be, could be, I mean, I, I can't think of an incredibly short example, but could be something that happens very quickly, or it could be a four-week process, or it could be an eight-week process. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I think the point is, you know, you just need to. I say you. I mean, I'm not you know, when I th- the way I think about it is that, yeah, one needs to go into thinking about whatever you're doing, with making sure it's time well spent. Um, you know, I often throw out this kind of 
semi-flippant kind of um, view to, to people and my team that, you know, you can always save 20%, 25% of your time. I think broadly it's about right. I, I think at any moment you can probably cut out 25% of what you're doing um, or find 25% more efficiency in what you're doing. And so if you're going to do something, do it properly, but equally don't spend your time on things that are, you know, in the sort of classic, uh, in the classic quadrant of, uh, of non-urgent and non-important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess another question I had as well was about like reinventing uh, oneself. Um, you know, I guess you, when you joined Moshi Mind Candy, there was a there was an element of okay, we need to pivot and focus on something. And like you said, the main focus right now is is Moshi Sleep. But when for, when do you think startups should know, or when do you think startups should think about reinventing and like pivoting and, and creating something new? Uh, because sometimes people can get you know married to their initial vision or initial dream or initial product that might have seen some success early on, um, but they're afraid to kind of you know change. Like, what do you say, or how do you how do you manage, or how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean that is that is the golden question. I, I think it's. Um, I mean, I haven't founded a business, so it's it's un you know, it's unwise of me to sort of give advice on what a company creating their first product, um, in a way, you know, I've kind of refounded Mind Candy, I guess, but I haven't founded the business and, you know, put my name above the door from day one. And I think that's a very unique perspective, which I haven't had yet. And I think, so it's hard for me to talk necessarily about the, what, what those founders go through when they create their first successful product and when they think, okay, how now do I build a sustainable and, um, and long-term business and you know there's countless examples you know through the annals of history of companies that create that first product but then struggle with the the second album as it were um and i think you know that's that's that is a that is a real challenge and a real thing that you know to, to figure out in terms of when do you start thinking about that that second stage you know without as you said um, necessarily getting married too far to your to your initial one, and then being sort of at the mercy of something going in the wrong direction with that. Really tricky to know, and it'll be dependent on the company. But what I would say is, um, I think you just need to be very transparent. I think you need to keep your eyes wide open and realize, you know, as much as we say, you know, things change faster now than they ever did before. Yes, they do, but in some ways they don't. I think the reality is that you know. Another sort of, you know, I try not to use too many um, sound bites, but the, I do have used this one a few times at, at Mind Candy over the last four years, which is the only constant is change, and I, and I truly believe that. And I don't think that's a Mind Candy thing. I think that's a that's a life perspective. I think that's the reality. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't want to necessarily spend much time talking about the last six months because clearly it's incredibly challenging for for many businesses, but you know. We're an incredibly adaptable sort of species, and we have to work that way because who knows what's around the corner. And I think the most amazing thing I would say is, and I think, is that anything is possible. Uh, and I see that both in a positive and a and a challenging prospect. In that, you know, clearly anything is possible. We can achieve anything, and anything is possible because who would have thought that we would, you know, on January first, that we're going to walk into a into a global pandemic? And you know, clearly. Um, we're going to have to adapt to that, and we are adapting to it. So, I think I would I would say overall that you know making those decisions is is of course company dependent and company independent, 
Um, but I, you know, anything you need to keep your eyes wide open and if you know, you've got to go with your gut a lot of time as much as you have to go with the data. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I did want to ask also how, how have you and the team been navigating COVID? Um, you know, lockdown, not being able to, I guess, build as a team, has there been like significant spikes, you know, in terms of like the product or, you know, obviously you guys were able to close around during COVID. Um, but like, how has the general company been doing during this, during this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I mean, do you know what? The team have been absolutely incredible. I mean, I, and I'm not just saying that because they're my my team. Frankly, I, I, I've been blown away by the the efficiency, the attitude of 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 this setup. Um, and you know, I've said this recently on another on another podcast actually that I used to believe I had a flexible working environment, and I used to sort of you know go to work thinking, yeah, I've got a flexible environment, and it wasn't that flexible in reality. You know, it was it was kind of it was flexibility by permission, um, and that makes makes it pretty inflexible actually if you think about it because people still have to cross a, a line of, of deciding whether you know them asking for flexibility is going to is going to be going to be received in the right way. And so there's there's a, there's a, there's a certain amount of tension there. And I think what this has proven in the last whatever it is four five six months is. We treat employees like what they are, grown-ups. Um, and you know, we judge them on results and what they do, what they say they'll do, and how they work together, how they operate, and you know, delivering that. And, you know, in all cases in my company, uh, I'm delighted with the team. They've proven that ultimately they want to work for a great company and they want to deliver great results and you know they will manage their time effectively to achieve that and you know we don't need to ask us for flexibility you know they have flexibility so this clearly you know it's the right time at this moment to say you know covid has impacted so many of my friends um in a professional sense but also on a you know clearly on a on a um on a human level just impacted people in in, in very profound and upsetting ways and i think you know, that's it's horrific, um, and the whole situation is 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 awful, um, and is you know clearly isn't we're nowhere near being out of the woods yet. Um, but I do think we'll take a lot of positives um, and out of out of of what's happened as well. And I and I do think for us personally, as operating as a business, we've found a really good way of operating, and it will change how we operate going forward, and it will change how I operate with other companies in the future as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's great that, you know, you've still been able to, the team have still turned up um, and they're still doing uh, great work and producing a great product. Um, I guess, have you guys gone back to the office now? or um, We haven't yet. Um, I mean, mainly because it's, it's, one, it's working so well. And two, I think it's it's still a, I would say it's, you know, it's, it's a delicate moment still. Um, you know, the office is, is being set up to be to be COVID secure, which is which is great, and the team are doing a good job with that. And yeah, you know, we're thinking, you know, as schools go back, um, which of course I think many parents will hope happens um, in September, um, then we're going to start getting some of the team back into the office. Um, but we're definitely going to take it step by step um, and making sure you know their their health and well being is is looked after and 
and to ensure that uh, it's a very smooth, smooth sort of return. So we'll we'll wait and see, but we're not we're not all going to rush back in one day. Put it that way. Makes sense. I wanna I wanna work towards wrapping up now. So I always ask all of our guests the rapid fire questions at the end of each episode, um, okay. just to get a better understanding of them. Um, so let's see how you how you get on with this. So. What has or who has been your biggest inspiration? Who's been my greatest inspiration? Uh, my dad. Uh, favorite podcast? Uh, I'm, I love Joe Rogan at the moment, to be honest. Okay. Uh, favorite book? Right now, the book I'm enjoying is called Spectrums by David Blattner. It's the most okay. incredible book. It's called, it's the subtitle, which you have to know, is called Our Mind Boggling Universe. From infinitesimal to infinity. Oh, I have to check that out. Uh, what do you wish you could do that you currently can't do? Eat out in some really nice restaurants without sort of the fear of, uh, of COVID. Yeah. Um, advice you'd give to your 21-year-old self? Don't waste time. If you had $100 in your favourite city, what would you spend it on and where? I go to Portienio in Sydney. It's a restaurant in Sydney. It's just so wonderful. What's the cuisine? It's an Argentinian. Um, it's an it's an Argentinian open barbecue. It's incredible. Uh, what's the one thing startup? What's the one thing startup should ignore in the early days? Rejection. Um, and finally, what's your vision for a company for Mind Candy? Uh, you know, some say IPO, some say you know, like you said, a billion helping a billion children. Like, what's your what's your vision for the company? So, aside from the company vision, which you said is yeah, a, a billion kids healthy and happy, um, is to create an environment where the team thrive. In. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, where can they find you if you want to be found? <laughs> uh, LinkedIn's best. And um, yeah, just, just uh, I connect with everyone on LinkedIn. So feel free to, to, to uh, hit me up on there and send a message. And uh, yeah, look forward to connecting with you. And uh, thanks very much for having me, Philip. I've really enjoyed it. Just want to say another huge thank you to Ian for coming on today's show and walking us through his incredible journey in this tech entertainment world. We wish him all the best with Moshi sleep and mindfulness. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. They honestly do go a long way. Also, follow us on Instagram at startup.hmd that's startup.hmd to get daily motivation and quotes from some of our best guests on the show until next time guys keep grinding